I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. In an uncertain world, there is always music which can be listened to in good company. Welcome to Friday 15, the show where we speak to friends and interesting people to the backdrop of great tunes and allocate 15 minutes to both. Today we speak to actor Isabel Middleton about the demise of space. The Divine Feminine is the fourth studio album by American rapper Mac Miller. The album's first single, Dan, was released in 2016. It features a guest appearance from the rapper and recording artist Anderson Pack. I can't keep on losing you over complications. Gone too soon. Wait, we were just hanging. I can't seem to hold on to. Dang. The people that know me best, the key that I won't forget. Too soon. I can't keep on losing you. Isabel, space isn't what it used to be, I don't think. Do you remember like when we were kids, space actually meant the future, didn't it? You had close encounters, you had the space race, you had um, even the space shot in the very early 1980s. But now, anything that's futuristic is always set on planet Earth and invariably dystopian. Whatever happened to space? 
<laughs> well, I go back further than you because my first encounter with space mm. was the clangers. <laughs> the clangers. I always get the clangers mixed up with the moomins. No, oh no, totally different. Oh, okay. The clangers live on a planet. And, uh, you know, that was my first introduction to space was the clangers. And then we had the Jetsons as well. So that was very much what you're talking about, which is like the space in the future and mm. what life's going to be and everyone running around in jetpacks and, you know, eating a vitamin for their breakfast and things like that. And uh, so it was always exciting. But I, yeah, you're right. I think perhaps the more we discover about space, the, the less different it is, I mean, the less kind of otherworldly it is, it, it still holds an enormous kind of, you know, mystery for me. Uh, no, for me too. And I don't know when it started for me, but I know around about the age of eight, I was given a telescope. And it wasn't, I was just given one out of the blue. I asked for one. So my love for the Great Yonder was, was already set there. But uh -huh. kids just nowadays just don't have the same fascination for it. I think peak space was the 1960s and the space race and, and the landing on, on the moon. But then you look back at all those films of the 1950s, you know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers and all those terrible B-movies that were always mm -hmm. had weird monsters from space. So mm -hmm. I, I would like my little boy, who's not that little anymore, to be bothered that you know the pioneer space probe has actually left the solar system yeah I, I guess space is one of those things that some people find interesting and other people don't and if you're somebody that I mean you can approach it like you with your telescope I never had a telescope but I did always like the night sky mm -hmm. and actually when I was probably about 14 and it sounds really nerdy I remember going to like a secondhand bookshop and I found all these maps from probably about 1940 of the night sky and I thought they were so beautiful and also because of course the the night sky when you look at the it has all the astrological signs as well so there was a kind of crossover between this is the nerd I was at, at that age uh, sort of Greek mythology mm. and you know Greek stories and um, stories of gods and monsters and things and space so the fact that it was all that kind of imagination going on above you and you could look up and go oh, there's Orion you know and there's his sword and there are his shoulders yeah. and, and his then belt. Yeah. exactly all those things and you could see them and then you could read the stories that you know were about the characters or or you could look in the you know in the newspaper and see that Claire Petulengro was saying it was going to be a difficult month for Scorpio and see that <laughs> in the sky so it's always been one of those things that is even though it's sort of rooted in nature I think it has this enormous scope of possibility. And I guess that's what those, you know, 1940s, 50s B-movies were, were kind of uh, taking advantage of, that nobody knows what the hell's going on out there. <laughs> so let's have 50-foot women from Wonga who, you know, rule a planet entirely uh, peopled by women and suck in... That was about to sound rude, wasn't it? Suck in spaceship <laughs> full of uh, handsome, virile American astronauts and <laughs> things like that. So I'm sure that most kids, if you ask them, even now, would would be have an interest in space in some shape or form, whether it's movies or whether it's it's astronauts. I mean, Tim Peake, when he went up mm -hmm. to the space to the space station, he mm -hmm. had a, an incredible following of 
you know youngsters and and interested people so I think it is still there I think it's still an interest I think there still is an interest but I think it's undeniable that it doesn't have the same doesn't have the same hold over the popular imagination that it used to and as and as, as a point of example of this I was in the late 1990s in 1999 was um space 1999 well it, here's here's another thing think about all of these um modern uh, we're living through you know peak quality tv aren't we uh, we uh, absolutely uh. are whether it is you no know, so so we're recording this on um the day when iron fist is coming out on netflix and i don't know whether that's going to peak good tv but it's just a multi-layered uh, superhero fest and then you've got logan and then you've got i'm watching the americans at the moment um, which is just absolutely brilliant you know there's we just served up with too much good tv how mm-hmm. much of it is set in space none whereas in the 70s you had space 1999 in the 60s very late 60s you had star trek you had uh book rogers at the end of the 80s you had battlestar galactica None Star of these, Wars and, and a, yes and the Star Wars trilogy and you even had the uh, Flash Gordon coming back in the very yeah. early early 1980s but we, then now mm-hmm. every so often a film for example like Gravity comes along and people are completely entranced by it True. and I do think that is a brilliant film you know, Gravity uh, uh, and there have been I think yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think it's not wall to wall, but and as you say, I'm sure the fact that you know we're no longer involved in a space race as such mm. uh, means that there isn't that kind of competitive and and um, a fervent feeling for it. But I mean, we still have you know. There's, I mean, in this country, obviously, Doctor Who is very popular. I think there's still maybe it's just that our notion of what space is is different. I mean, I seem to see you know I've watched quite a lot of new films about about space and I've seen them advertised and things like that. The, I just wonder if it's the sort of the, the 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 temperature changes as to what we find interesting about it. I mean, one of my big big kind of you know addictions was um, Alien. Mm-hmm. I just thought Alien was the most amazing film, and that whole. You know, if you think about the poster and in space, no one can hear you scream. I mean, it's the idea of using space as a, a as a place for a horror film. I don't think it'll ever go away. I mean, that's the brilliant thing about it is we never, we will never. Well, if, know space, if space went away, there. there'd, there'd <laughs> be no more existence, would there? <laughs> exactly. And they did it this week, didn't they? I heard someone on the radio yesterday saying that they've now discovered that there are probably another fifty planets that need to be named and explored and all this so space is basically just getting bigger i mean obviously space is expanding but, but oh, no, this the, what the, a conversation this is we've got <laughs> astrophysics we've got <laughs> philosophy but and... i just know that it's kind of you know mind bend isn't it once you start thinking about it i mean that's the thing isn't it as a so, human on the earth so and when you really start to think Isabel. about space Isabel, yeah, sorry. are you telling me that the sun is not setting on space. I am telling you that space will go on forever. So tell me why, if we're talking about sunsets, tell me why you've nominated Kate Bush's track Sunset from the album Ariel as your piece of music this week. I'm loving your segue there, Royfield. I'm a professional. Be- beautifully done. Yeah, hey. Well, Kate Bush, I, I 
dig the bush. <laughs> Kate, Kate and I have been sort of soulmates uh, throughout my whole life. If if I was to have a soundtrack of my life, it would be Kate Bush. I was a I was a closet Kate Bush fan when mm. I was a teenager because it wasn't cool to like Kate Bush then. And uh, I have been uh, delighted that as I've got older and older, other people have kind of gone, actually, it's all right to like Kate Bush. I just think she's brilliant. And I think in terms, talking about space, she is her, she's a brilliant poet. Her music is kind of exploratory. It's expansive. It's reflective. It's uplifting. It's imaginative. It's all those things that kind of you can be feeling really low or really rubbish and you listen to a Kate Bush track and it just takes your mind away and to a world of possibilities. I think she's brilliant and I think this is a really beautiful song and by the end of it, if you're not feeling kind of better than you were at the beginning, then there's no help for you. <laughs> In a sea
Kate Bush passed me by as a, as a little black brummy kid in the late 70s. That weren't the type of music people like me listen to, I must admit. All this babushka, babushka, yai yai stuff. I, 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 I would say that is my least favourite Kate Bush song, but, but I get, I, I understand that completely. But now you've, now you've had a little taster. I would mm-hmm. say, get you know, give, give yourself the, a moment of, of Kate Bushery. See what you, think. <laughs> you might hate it. It might be completely. It might just not be your thing at all. But it, is uh, it? Is it Kate Bushery? Is it Kate Bushdom? I'll take either. Well, you know, the one thing which I've absolutely come to appreciate, and it's an ongoing theme on on Friday 15, though I don't say it explicitly, is that of all the decades of popular music since the 1950s, the 70s is actually the best. It's the most diverse, it's the most experimental, it's the most exciting. And, And if you objectively look at that decade, every 18 months there was a, a musical revolution. And it was mm-hmm. the decade that gave us disco and punk, uh, rock as we understand it today, uh, the cul-de-sac that was prog rock, but also you have complex harmonies and melodies. And, you know, the uh, Queen could do Bohemian Rhapsody. You could mm-hmm. have somebody like Kate Bush uh, mm-hmm. wailing at the top of her lungs doing mm-hmm. almost like Gregorian chant in the middle of songs. And it's just an absolutely wondrous, experimental, scarily exciting time. So I've come to appreciate Kate Bush in my dotage of being 48. Uh, but um, as an eight-year-old, it was like, oh, switch that off the radio. Fair enough. I do also have to admit that it is the only dance competition I've ever won. Um, and that <laughs> because at my school disco, mm. I did a rendition of um, Wuthering Heights. Wuthering Heights. <laughs> right. But mm. absolutely brilliant that she wrote a song mm-hmm. about a, a literary masterpiece <laughs> inspired by a literary masterpiece. Not many people could carry that off, you know. From the heights of space in your orbital space station, what astrological body are you going to be transfixed on looking at? I've always loved the moon. Mm. I know that seems sort of probably a bit dreary because it's so close. I think the fact that we can look at that and know that people have stood on there and looked at us is sort of moving and exciting. I would love to go to the moon. What I've always thought was too much of a coincidence Mm. but the distance that the moon is from the earth and the size that it is that is Mm. exactly the same size to the naked eye from the earth as the sun so when you have an eclipse you see the corona of the sun and if ever there was something which would to lead me to believe that there is a supreme being it would be something like that because what are the chances of that you know, <laughs> Mars has Phobos and Deimos. Mars has two moons. Jupiter has God knows how many, 27. I don't know, right? But mm-hmm. however big the sun is from the surface of Jupiter, you know that none of its 27 moons are going to be exactly the same size. 
So that is deep, isn't it? Yeah, you know, what are the chances of that? Somebody oh. out there, some some astrophysicist or whatever, can you please email me, tweet me, DM me, whatever, and tell me the chances, statistically speaking, are because that is just amazing. And it is amazing. It is. Yeah, I know. I'm, I agree with you. I think that's wonderful. I have no idea why it should be, whether, whether it's just some marvellous sort of coincidence that is both aesthetic and possibly um, of meaning to people with faith. But uh, it, it's a beautiful thing. Do you have faith? Do you think we talk about space? Do you think that in some little bit of the universe there's, there's a man or a supreme being um, sat on a throne um, you know, like like Pinocchio's master, you know, he's got his strings and he's just controlling everything. I keep on saying him and his. Shows yeah. you I'm culturally brainwashed. Do you believe in a supreme being? No. Me either. Although I, that, that, that idea, I remember hearing somebody dis- describe um, the universe as being, you know, it's like um, pulling back from a, 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 a tight shot where you see a person's face and then you pull back, you pull back and you mm-hmm. see the whole person and then you come back and then you're flying above them and you keep doing that and you keep getting further and further away until everything's getting smaller and smaller and then you actually discover that the entire universe is inside a glass dome which is sitting on the desk of whoever it is, the supreme being. So actually we're just somebody's snow dome Um that kind of freaks me out, particularly, you know, you could think, well, who would that supreme being be? You just hope it isn't Donald Trump. Maybe, maybe, but, maybe it's Orson Welles. Maybe. I'd rather Orson Welles than Donald Trump, I think, although there's probably more chance that Orson Welles would pick it up and throw it at the wall, <laughs> in which case we've all had it. But no, I don't really believe in a supreme being. I kind of believe, I mean, how can there be? that? That's what's amazing about it, is that there is no limit to it and I can't think about it too much or I just kind of go oh my god what is the point that that sort of moment where you you're the tiny ant on the huge playground and you just go I can't cope with the enormity of it of not knowing what's out there and how can we just be floating in space but at the same time that sort of randomness fills me with hope because you think anything could happen anything could be out there and it might not necessarily be Klingons and evil beings that want to destroy us and take our water and, and eat us. It might be something wonderful. <laughs> so I, I kind of have a, a faith that something good might come of it. God, how naive do I sound? <laughs> no. Um, Isabel Middleton, international playgirl, maker of things, actor, voiceover <laughs> artist, writer... Optimistic imbecile and poor. That's me. Poor Bella. Thank you for coming on to Friday Fifteen and basically just giving us the uh, synopsis to the film Arrival. Ah, I haven't seen it. Oh, so you, you really I'm, should. I must go and see it. The, I will.
Where the buildings are old And you might have lots of mimes Scum is a post-punk electro soup by the LCD Sound System. It was released as a lead singer from the second album, Sound of Silver. song by the band XTC. It features on their album Apple Venus Volume 1. It was nominated by listener Dan Moynes on Twitter.
hope you enjoyed this week's show. Don't forget, you can follow the show's progress on Facebook by simply typing in Friday15. You can also find us on Twitter, where you can follow me, where I'm at Royfield, spelled R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D. Now, every Thursday, you can jump onto Twitter and tweet me and nominate a song for me to put into this week's Friday 15. iTunes reviews, folks, are extremely important. They're the lifeblood of any podcast. Please go onto iTunes and write us a a glowing review. And don't forget, finally, you can email me where I'm Royfield, spelled R O. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I-F-I-E-L-D at gmail.com Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. See you all again in seven days' time for more good music and great conversation.